0: I am boy, everything's like young children. Grandfather, one of a million ancestors. I need to find my space, to find my face in this ancestral embrace that is skin tight. My skin fits me just They're all there, my ancestral throne, for I am, we are, lifetimes infinite, billion strong. Welcome to Mind Your Margins, which is a podcast that seeks to foster a space where it's humanly possible to make humanity possible. My name is Michelle Myers, and I'm going to try my best to help us navigate through topics about marginalized identities, topics which at times may be difficult ones for some people to conceptualize or express or even accept but I'm hoping that what we discuss won't always be difficult. Um, I'm hoping that we can make space for joy and celebration too and create opportunities for understanding and compassion. So I just want to clarify that when I say marginalized identities I mean I want to prioritize the perspectives of people who may feel invisible or silenced or ignored or erased and while I know that many people are feeling this way in our current times, I just want to be clear that for me, speaking as an Asian American woman and from my own experiences, much of the time I'm going to be highlighting the perspectives and experiences of people of color, especially Asian Americans, immigrants and the children of immigrants and people who identify as multiracial and multicultural. So for those of you who know something about my background and are wondering why I'm not doing a podcast that's strictly about Asian American issues, first of all, I may still do a podcast like that at some point. Um, I know that my children want me to, and, and I do feel it's important. I have lots of ideas about something like that. But as far as this podcast is concerned, I have thoughts and ideas about lots of different topics. So so yes, I identify as an Asian American woman, but I also identify as biracial. Um, I also identify as a 1.5 generation immigrant and as the daughter of an immigrant. I also identify as a mother and as the mother of multiracial children. I identify as a poet and as a professor. So obviously the point I'm trying to make is that I view myself and my interactions with people and the world around me in multiple ways. And I definitely often feel that as a biracial person, I fit in nowhere, but at the same time, I believe that I can connect with anyone, that I can feel community with anyone. I mean, I believe if we can have a conversation and we can connect as human beings, then we can be in community with each other, if that makes sense. So I didn't want to feel restricted about what I could talk about in this podcast. So Mind Your Margins is a title that I came up with that I hoped would allow me to discuss any topic that I feel reflects a condition of marginalization or a feeling of being marginalized. But because I wanted this podcast to also emphasize having compassion for others as well as adopting a practice of self-care and mindfulness, I also wanted us to think about boundaries, The, the boundaries we set to protect ourselves and also the boundaries we shouldn't cross that we should be mindful of so that we can demonstrate respect for others. So this podcast is as much about venting frustration and concerns as it is about encouraging self-reflection. So the title, Mind Your Margins, means or can mean respect yourself and respect others. It can also mean just like you don't want other people to box you in or categorize you, then you shouldn't do that to other people. So there's several play on words happening in the title. Marginalization, mindfulness, not being boxed in, don't box others in. And then it can also mean a place where all these lines that we construct to divide ourselves can disappear, even if it's just for a moment within this listening space. So anyway, I wanted a title that was multi-layered and that would allow me to unify all of the things that I wanted to talk about and accomplish in this podcast. So I hope you get that and I hope you think it does. But before we go any further about who I am and why I decided to do this podcast, I'd like to share a land acknowledgement statement because I value the perspectives and presence of the Native American community, and it's important to me to always remember that they are the original peoples of this land that the world calls the United States of America. So I hope to start each podcast like this, and as I say the words, I hope you'll reflect on them as I speak them. I offer them up as a kind of prayer. I acknowledge that the land on which I live and work are the ancestral lands of the Lenny Lenape people whose presence and resilience in New Jersey, Eastern Pennsylvania, and Delaware continue to this day. I recognize that the place where I recorded this podcast also sits on the unceded homeland of the Lenny Lenape people. I and my listeners take this opportunity to honor the original caretakers of this land and recognize the histories of land theft, violence, erasure, and oppression that has brought ourselves here. We are grateful to be guests in these lands and commit to solidarity and the struggle for indigenous sovereignty. This land acknowledgement reminds us of our connections and indebtedness to the Indigenous people of New Jersey, Eastern Pennsylvania, and Delaware. Saying their names and learning their histories call their spirits to life. Thank you for listening to that land acknowledgement statement. As I said, my intention is to begin every episode with that statement. I feel like Spiritually, in honoring Native Americans and their ancestors, I'm also honoring my Korean ancestors, remembering them, and remembering the land of my birth. And as the child of an immigrant mother and as someone who was not born in this country, I really feel it's important to remember and acknowledge Native Americans as the Indigenous people of this land that has become not only my homeland, but the home of millions upon millions of people over several generations who came from somewhere else in the world. We are on stolen land, and many of us or our ancestors were enticed in one way or another to come here chasing the quote-unquote promise of the American dream. Or some of us were forced to come here due to circumstances of poverty or war or genocide or enslavement. And for those of us who are closer to our immigrant story or our migration story, I think that we can understand the idea of homeland through both gain and of loss. But unless we identify as Native American, most of us will never understand the sense of loss and erasure and and yes, anger, like justifiable anger, that many Native Americans may feel seeing what has happened to their ancestral lands. And as a 1.5 generation immigrant, I'm grateful to be here, although I was brought here by my parents and had no say about leaving the land of my birth, but I hope that as I'm here, that I can conduct my presence on this adopted homeland in a way that demonstrates care and respect for the indigenous peoples of this land. And, and so those are some of the reasons why it's important to me to start this podcast, honoring Native Americans, and specifically the Lenny Lenape on whose ancestral homeland that I live and work. So once again, I just wanted to say thank you um, for listening to me give that land acknowledgement statement and for explaining why it's so important to me. So for those of you who don't know who I am, Maybe knowing a little about my background will help you to understand why these issues, like what I just talked about regarding Native Americans, are important to me. So I've been doing this type of work of raising awareness about racism and confronting stereotypes and educating people in the hopes of broadening understanding and building community. I've been doing this work for about 20 years. I guess in the public at large, I'm best known as a spoken word poet And most people know my work as a member of Yellow Rage. So Yellow Rage is myself and my poetry partner, Katzi Vilevan. And we're two Asian American women based out of Philadelphia who write and perform poetry. And what we try to do in our poetry is give voice to the experiences of Asian Americans from our perspectives as Asian American women. And then people started to recognize our work Back in 2001, when we appeared on the HBO show Russell Simmons Presents Deaf Poetry, we performed a poem called Listen, Asshole. Um, And you know, most people call that show Deaf Poetry Jam. But that's when we gained a kind of national recognition. Then Katzi and I went on tour and performed all over the country for about 15 years. And I've also established a name for myself as a solo spoken word poet. I've also performed all over the country as a solo artist, and I've led poetry workshops for youth, or tried to participate in some kind of event that would enable me to connect to the local community in some way, wherever it was that I happened to be performing. So so that's me as an artist in a nutshell, at least for now. I'm sure that I'll talk more about my creative work in future episodes. So the other quote unquote hat that I wear in doing this work of raising awareness about racism and confronting stereotypes and educating people and building community is as a college professor. So I've been teaching at the college level for 25 years. I have a doctorate degree in English and I specialize in Asian American literature, African American literature, and 19th century American literature. My areas of expertise also include ethnic studies immigrant experiences, and developmental reading and writing. I've also held administrative positions as a department head, and I'm currently a diversity equity inclusion coordinator within my department. So I share all of this with you because as I'm about to discuss one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast, which I guess would essentially be my first topic, I figured that In order for you to get what I'm saying, it would probably be important for you to understand how deeply embedded and invested I am in academia. I'm passionate about teaching. And I believe that education is a pathway to equity, that for many marginalized people, people of color, immigrants, women, Getting an education for for many of these groups of people have been their way to achieve the quote unquote American dream, and I can say this because I've lived it. I truly believe that school saved my life. If it hadn't been for school, I could have ended up on the streets as an addict or an alcoholic or an abusive relationship, or. Sometimes when I think about the things that that I was doing as a teenager, like sometimes I even think that I could have ended up dead. I'm really not trying to be dramatic when I share all of that. And I'm not saying any of this because I want sympathy or anything like that. I just am being honest. And I promise that I'm always going to try my best to be honest in this podcast. In my mind, school saved my life. And I've always viewed my role as an educator as one where I'm really just paying it forward. Where, where I can give people who are like me an opportunity at a better life. Or an opportunity at a life of their dreams. And I've dedicated myself to this belief for the past 20 years. But this thing that I used to love, academia, I'm now starting to hate. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not naive, I've always known that there are many problematic aspects about academia and about the American educational system in general, like I've always known that racism exists in academia, systemic and structural racism, as well as racism and elitism and cultural bias among professors, that sexism exists in academia, but I always believed that I had the energy and the passion and the faith To combat these forces so that I could create various spaces within academia where my students could feel empowered and be well on their way to achieving their goals and living the lives they've always dreamed of. But these past two years teaching during the pandemic, I hit a wall and Since as I'm recording this podcast, most colleges and universities have just started their spring semesters, and all of this is on my mind again, this was one of the reasons why I wanted to create this podcast. So before I go any further, I'd like to preface what I'm about to share by saying that I know many amazing educators. Educators who are caring and compassionate And actively working to build an enriching learning community that validates students and guides them in a way that helps them find a pathway to their best life, or the best life that they envision for themselves. These are faculty who meet with students, encourage students, advocate for students. I take so much inspiration from so many of my colleagues for their passion and dedication to this public service profession, and I do regard my work as an educator as a public service. But with all that being said, during the pandemic, the elitism and racism that I always knew existed in academia, but did my best to combat, became even more apparent. You know, perhaps the stress and the emotional burdens of the pandemic exacerbated it and our isolation and disconnection from each other fueled it even further. I know that for so many of us as educators, we felt overwhelmed by the extra responsibility or the sense of responsibility that was dumped on our shoulders to make online learning work with very little or no support or infrastructure for doing so, especially at the beginning of the pandemic and the lockdown, and I also want to acknowledge that being an educator is often a thankless, exhausting job. See I'm, I'm already in my mind trying to make excuses for some educators' behavior because I live it and I know how hard it was and it is, but even with all of that, there is no excuse for denying students of their human dignity and respect. And the problems that I'm bringing up existed well before the pandemic. The pandemic actually made these issues stand out even more. Over the years, I have witnessed academia become this soul-crushing and dehumanizing space. Where at times, kindness and compassion are almost completely discarded. Where some of us forget that being kind to others, to our students, is also a way for us to be kind to ourselves. So at this point, let me just clarify that most of my students are students of color. And I would say for the past two years, I've also noticed that more and more of my students are immigrants. Now, during the pandemic, each semester, I discovered that my students were in crisis on multiple levels. Dealing with health issues, some pandemic related and some not. Dealing with caretaking challenges, whether they had children or were caring for elderly relatives, dealing with having to be frontline workers during the pandemic, and then while dealing with all of that, on top of it all, trying to get their degree whether as full-time or part-time students, having a cold, heartless professor who is being an asshole to them for no reason. Now they come to my class, distrustful, and traumatized. And yes, what they have experienced is indeed intellectual and emotional trauma that has been inflicted on them by their teachers. And just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about so that you can hear it from a student's own voice, I want to share an excerpt from an an assignment that a student submitted in one of my classes during the pandemic. This student identifies as a child of immigrants. So this is a passage from an essay that they wrote and submitted to me. I have seen so many people in my middle school and high school having trouble with their teachers, their classes, or even with other students. Some teachers are mean to most of their students because they believe they don't need to help in their class because they should automatically understand what the teacher is throwing at us during that time. This actively demonstrates that when students want to ask that teacher for help They get scared because they already know what the teacher is going to say to them, which makes them just give up on asking for help or even trying to do the work. I have seen teachers yell at students and tell them that they are hopeless or even useless because they don't understand the whole unit or just that one part that they are learning. We are so scared to ask for help because of the teachers we had in our past before we got here, which makes it hard for us To ask for your help. How heartbreaking is that? The learning process can be intimidating and overwhelming enough as it is. We don't need to make it worse. I have so many stories and examples of how students are dehumanized by some educators, but right now I want to share the one that really made me want to do this podcast the one that made me decide to be the diversity, equity, and inclusion coach in my department, even though I really don't want to deal with the emotional toll that doing this work would take on me. There was this young man, a young man of color. He was part of a program at the college where I teach that provides support services for young men of color in order to give them every opportunity to graduate and get their degree. And I've tutored in this program for many years. He had made some mistakes and bad decisions as a teenager. He did some time in juvenile detention, but he had served his time and he was dedicated to getting his education. We have so many wonderful students who are in a similar situation who come through our reentry program. And he was a father. He had a beautiful baby girl. And this one day, he came into the program office with his baby daughter. His childcare that day had fallen through, and he was late for class. But because he didn't want to miss class, because this professor had a strict attendance policy, so he brought his daughter to school knowing that people in the program would watch her while he went to class. And we did watch her. We all took turns. Whoever wasn't busy from moment to moment, we watched his precious little baby girl who was barely walking as she crawled around the office. About five to 10 minutes later, this student came back looking upset. He looked defeated. He told us that the professor wouldn't open the door. So so this professor had a policy where when class started, he shut the door and locked it. And if students weren't in the class by that time, even if he had just shut the door, they were marked absent, but this student, see, he thought since he was always in class on time and submitted his work on time, that the professor would at least open the door. And, you know, he figured that if the professor opened the door and let him explain that he didn't have childcare that day and had actually brought his daughter with him all the way to school, that the professor would understand and he would let him into the class, but he didn't even open the the fucking door and in that moment my heart broke for that student who knows how traumatizing that was for him he was doing everything he could to build a better life for himself and for his family he had trusted the play-by-play that we tell students about how to be successful and do well in their classes right go to class Go to class on time, complete all your work, submit your work on time, get involved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then he gets a teacher who doesn't acknowledge his value as an individual, as a human being at all, who sees him knocking at his classroom door and literally refuses to open it. What an apt, but fucked up metaphor for what so many of our students experience in our educational system. Knocking at a locked door and seeing the person who could open it for them standing on the other side, but who refuses to open it. And then who knows if this experience re-traumatized him as someone who had been incarcerated. You know, we sell our students on the idea that getting an education getting a degree, getting a college degree, will give them freedom, freedom in their careers, financial freedom, social mobility, but then we literally lock the fucking doors on them when they're a little bit late to class. I can't imagine how trapped the student must have felt in this moment. I mean, how much hoop jumping bullshit can we inflict on our students before we completely crush their dreams? or their motivation to try to attain those dreams. And yes, I get very emotional about this and I'm trying my best to keep my composure, but this makes me so upset and so angry. And when I was asked to do this equity work to address ways that faculty could recognize and change Classroom policies that have racist and detrimental impacts on our students. I didn't want to do it at first because of how emotional I get about it. Because I knew it would have a deep emotional effect on me too. would take a toll on me. And I didn't know if I could handle that. But then I remembered this student. And I told myself, this work is too important. You know, I'm always telling my students how important it is for them to raise their voices and speak up, advocate for themselves when they feel like that they've been mistreated and that they should be allies to each other. And I, and I kept thinking, how hypocritical would it be for me to tell them that, but then be a witness to how they are mistreated and I don't speak up for them? What about me? Be a good ally to my students. As a faculty member, you know, I'm privileged in that I have a union that advocates for me if I feel as though I've been mistreated. But our students have no one advocating for them. There's no infrastructure for them, you know? If anything, if they have a complaint that needs to be made, they're paid lip service. You know they're dismissed and we have students who have many valid complaints and concerns and we tell them we you know we we want to hear what you have to say what you think about our institution is important to us but then our actions say something completely different so for this student and others who've been mistreated like him i decided to do it i decided to be the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion coach. Then a couple of months ago, about a month before the end of the fall 2021 semester, I found out that this student had passed away. I'm sorry. He passed away in November of 2020 from COVID. And then this work felt even more urgent. So much of my job during this pandemic has been trying to help heal that trauma, the trauma that students might be feeling because of insensitive or racist professors. For me, teaching during this pandemic hasn't been just about teaching my students, it's been about getting them to trust again, to not see their teacher, to not see me as their teacher, as their enemy, where being in class is not a punishment, where getting grades on their assignments does not feel like a punishment, like an attack on them. That's what I spend much of my time doing now as an educator. When I log into my email in the morning and I see multiple emails from various students in some state of panic or stress, I spend the time to write them back and say, don't worry, it's all going to be okay. Of course, you know, I write my emails specifically addressing whatever question or concern they have, but the ultimate message that I send to them is, don't worry, it's all going to be okay. So if a student tells me that they're feeling self-conscious about giving speeches in my public speaking class because they have the heavy accent and they think they're going to get a bad grade for that, I say, I wasn't born in this country and I'm the child of an immigrant mother. I understand your concerns. And so you don't have to worry about that for me. You're going to do amazing. And then if a student in my writing class tells me that they hate writing and that they're a bad writer, I say to them, I understand if you've had bad experiences with writing in the past, but we're going to break down the writing process and give you the tools you need to write an essay for any assignment that you receive as a college student, you're going to do great. How hard is it to give our students encouragement? Like sometimes students just want to express their anxiety without judgment, without us as their professors, judging them. They just want to be understood, and as I've been saying, they have a right to be treated with compassion and humanity. And this was one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast. I've been listening to my students' concerns about their educational experiences, but I've also been listening to their thoughts about social justice issues, about their experiences, and what kind of changes they would like to see. I'm blessed that my credentials Enable me to teach a wide array of classes, and I'm always wowed by the insights that my students share about topics relating to racial injustice, or immigration policies, or voting rights, or the modern minority myth, or postpartum depression, or PTSD and suicide rates among veterans. And all I do is give them the space and the tools so that they can succeed in my class Yes, according to the academic parameters that have been set by the student learning outcomes, but also enable them to feel like that they are valuable human beings and that this course gave them an opportunity to discover something meaningful about themselves and about the world around them. But I feel like so many of my students share their thoughts with me and only me so many of my students feel isolated and also deeply fearful to share their true thoughts given today's aggressively judgmental culture. And I've been wondering how many other people are suffering with similar feelings of anxiety and self-doubt. So encouraged by my oldest daughter Myung, who is also producing My Your Margins, I wanted to create a podcast where I not only talk about an important topic in each episode that people may be struggling with, but also give encouragement and support to help people manage whatever negative emotions that they're experiencing. And I thought maybe I could help since as a professor, this is what I do on a daily basis. And and so with all that in mind, I feel like I can say to any of you, are listening and struggling with self-doubt and worry i hope that you can try your best to turn off any negative self-talk chattering in your head and replace it with encouraging and kind words to yourself if people make you feel bad because of the way you talk or you have an accent say something to yourself like You know, the way that I talk reflects my culture and my background, and I'm proud of who I am. Just figure out whatever you need to say to yourself, whether it's, I'm not perfect, but I always do my best, or I'm not getting the job I want now, but I'm not going to give up. You know, the most important thing is to try not to internalize the hate that people sometimes throw at us. Because once we internalize it and repeat their words to ourselves... We've given them power over us, so by replacing those negative words that other people say to us and you know the negative thoughts that, that occur in our heads as a result of that, we replace that with, with the positive words and then we can take our power back. So let's take our power back. Don't let the harshest words we hear be the ones we say to ourselves. I mean, in a world that's trying to tear us down, being kind to ourselves is so important. So I hope that you'll be kind to yourself because you deserve it. You deserve it. And if you can't quiet that negative chatter in your head and you feel unappreciated at work or at school or at home, then I hope that you'll hear what I'm saying to you right now. You are are amazing. So that was a lot, right? Like sometimes people don't understand why when the semester starts, I disappear. Why when they see me or talk to me and they ask how I'm doing, I can only take a deep breath and say I'm exhausted. That's all I talk about is how exhausted I am. And you know, everything that I just talked about in my podcast is the reason why I disappear. This past fall semester, when people asked me about it, the only way I could describe it was by using the word grueling. It was grueling. I mean, don't get me wrong. Ultimately, when I get to the end of the semester, I do feel that teaching my students has been rewarding. But the process of teaching during this semester depletes so much of my energy and my spirit. And it's because I try to engage this practice of compassionate teaching where I recognize the humanity of my students and which seems so antithetical to the harmfully punitive way that many of my colleagues teach. It takes so much of my energy to do that because this system is created to go against that the system is antithetical to recognizing the humanity of our students because you know it's become like a factory it's become a business and we want to shuffle them through as quickly as possible and so in many ways even though we say we talk this talk of wanting to have a learner friendly classroom and of recognize and of recognizing the individual learning styles of our students and so forth. In practice, the educational system is this very assembly line, cookie cutter, one size fits all approach to creating the curricula as well as teaching it. And because I am constantly coming up against that wall, of this being the actual structure of how our educational system is, I'm, I'm just exhausted by it constantly, right? As I've, as I've been saying throughout this podcast, this kind of work takes a toll on me. And so managing one's mental health is a process. Managing my mental health is a process, right? It, that's as true for me as it is for anyone else. I mean, it it's to the point where, like, sometimes during the semester, I'm a mess. Sometimes I've spent whole mornings or afternoons just crying because I'm so overwhelmed. So this podcast is as much of a support for me as it is for any one of you who may be listening. And another thing is, you know, I've realized that with this work, this is work that I can't do by myself. It's not work that I can do alone. I don't want to feel alone in this struggle anymore. We need each other if we're going to make it humanly possible to make humanity possible. So I hope that you'll join me on this journey. And, and while we're on this journey, besides listening to me and making space with me in this format through the podcast, I'm hoping that as we're on this journey together that you'll make space with me and with each other in other ways you know i i know that i can talk a lot i don't have a problem talking like you know i'm a professor right so i can fill up a lot of time talking but i don't always want to be the one doing the talking i really do want to hear from you so if you have a topic that you'd like to hear discussed or want to share an experience you've had please email me My email is mindyourmargins at gmail.com. You can also post your experiences and thoughts on the Mind Your Margins Facebook page and Mind Your Margins on Twitter. So please, if you've had any experiences in school, whether they're good or whether they're bad, that you want to share and you think may help others, or if you just want to share words of encouragement to people who may be struggling, Um, whether it's in school or at work or just in their daily lives, I hope that you'll post that too. And I truly hope that we can build a supportive and compassionate community together. Thank you so much for listening. I know that your time is precious, and I'm so grateful to you for spending this time with me and sharing space. In my next episode of Mind Your Margins, which should post... On March 15th, I plan to discuss the one-year anniversary of the Atlanta spa shootings, anti-Asian violence, the sexual fetishization of Asian American women, and if there's time, other ways that the COVID-19 pandemic has taken a toll on the Asian American Pacific Islander community. I also want to talk about how to manage anxiety and stress if you're feeling emotionally overwhelmed and exhausted because of these issues. So I hope that you'll join me for that episode. Until then, please be mindful of yourselves and mindful of others. Take good care. I am boy, I a like Chinese, Grandfather, one of the million ancestors. I need to find my space, to find my face in this ancestral embrace that is Skin type, but my skin fits me just right they're all there my ancestral throne for I am, we are lifetimes infinite billion strong